Do you have a ghost howling in your house? Do you have a werewolf stalking you at night? Do you have a vampire in your attic? Is Bigfoot walking beside you in the forest? Do you have cryptids and paranormal events and encounters in your life that you can't explain? Do you need explanations into the unknown? Well, I have a solution for your problems. The Foggy Jack Paranormal Research Foundation. For more information, please visit www.foggyjackparanormal.weebly.com. And remember, the thing stalking you at night may want to kill you. Welcome to Foggy Jack Radio, presented by the Foggy Jack Live Podcast Network. We understand that in order to revolutionize the future, we must understand the past. Please enjoy the show. When you watch horror movies in summer, do you cry out of angst for the Halloween season? (laughs) Have you ever wondered what happens behind dark, spiderweb-encrusted curtains of a haunted house? Do you believe that ghosts, goblins, and witches walk the same street you do? Do you have to snort pumpkin spice just to get your fix? Well, boy, oh boy, do I have a solution to all of your aching problems. The Foggy Jack Live Podcast. Where the Haunters Meet the Haunted. Each week on the show, you'll learn behind-the-scenes info of the haunt industry, the talk of the paranormal and cryptid industry. We also talk about horror movies, Halloween, and so much more. So please join us each week for this creepy, kooky, mysterious, and spooky Foggy Jack Live podcast. And we'll catch you down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted. Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense. Suspense. Stories from the world's great literature of pure excitement. A new series frankly dedicated to your horrification and entertainment. Week by week, from the pick of new material, from the pages of best-selling novels, from the theater of Broadway and London, and the sound stages of Hollywood, will parade the most remarkable figures ever known. CBS gives you... Suspense. Tonight's presentation is one of the finest of the contemporary stories of mystery and terror. John Dixon Carr's famous novel, The Burning Court. Ah, a glass of sherry by the fireside of a beautiful suburban home. What could be more comforting? You're an admirable host, Mr. Depart, and it's really a shame our first meeting is under such a cloud. It's also a shame I have so little time to tell you which one of your guests here ah, murdered your uncle last week.
Now, let's see now. I believe we're all here. Your wife, your friend, Mr. Stevens, Captain Brennan. Yes, and incidentally, yourself. Just who did you say you were? Well, no wonder you've had so much difficulty with the case, Captain. My name is Cross, Godin Cross, the writer. As a matter of fact, it's because of my just-completed book, Poisoning Throughout the Ages, that I happen to be here now. And Ted Stevens there happens to be a member of the firm which publishes my work. I'd never seen him until tonight, but I've been told what happened. This afternoon, he began reading my manuscript for the first time on the train. The commuter's train, which every afternoon deposits him safely and soundly here in Christmas. I imagine he was halfway home by the time he finished the first chapter. Then he turned a page. Attached to the following leaf was a picture. And looking at it, the young man stiffened suddenly and all but cried out his shock. It was a picture of a young woman. And under it had been printed Famous Poisoner Marie Dobray. 1676. Ted Stevens was looking at a picture of his own wife. Imagine, imagine his 25-year-old wife in 17th century costume. The face, the features, even a wistfulness of expression were identical. Even the name... Dobray was his wife's maiden name. But no, 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 that was ridiculous. This woman in the picture was, well, one of his wife's ancestors. Yes, that was it, that was it. Simply an amazing family resemblance. Marie would be waiting for him at the station and he'd have to tell her about it. He wondered why, however, she'd never told him about Oh, well, but you don't discuss such an ancestor, do you? Ted Stevens glanced down at the chapter to which the picture had been attached. It was entitled, The Affair of the Non-Dead Woman. Hello, Ted. Stevens was almost jolted from his seat. It was Dr. Weldon, professor of English at the college, an old friend of his. Quickly, he thrust the picture beneath the manuscript and moved over. Hi, I didn't see you, Doc. Oh, here, have a, have a seat. Oh, I thought maybe you were giving me the, uh, what do they call it? The brush off? Oh, no, I... Uh, say, as a matter of fact, Doc, you're the one man I do want to see. Yeah? Very flattering. Remember those discussions we used to have about murders? <laughs> Better than bridge any time. Well, I got the idea that you'd made sort of a hobby out of the old cases, the historical ones. Well, I've studied quite a number of them, yes. Ever hear of a woman named Marie Dobray? Marie Dobray? Marie Dobray. Oh, yes. Uh, That was her maiden name, of course. One of the finest specialists in arsenic poisoning you could ever hope to find. Oh, we're almost at our station, Ted. Get to the door. Yes, a real charmer Marie was. Must have disposed of half a hundred husbands, lovers, suitors, and just plain friends before she was caught. Uh, what happened to her, Doc? She was beheaded and burned. Crispin! (laughs) 
absurd, laughable. Ted Stevens kept saying this to himself, and yet what he knew was a foolish dread followed him straight through the small suburban station and clung to him as he reached the street. And there in the roadster was Marie, leaning toward him a little to hold the door open and smiling at him. Oh, Ted, what on earth are you staring at? That streetlight shining on your hair, I like that. Oh, you're tight. Come on, get in the car. Then, like a wisp of smoke, it was gone. The whole ridiculous fear. The delusion. brought the cocktails into the living room. The logs were burning brightly in the fireplace, throwing a soft, dancing glow upon a room that was darkening with dusk. To you, Marie. And to you, dear. As Stevens placed his glass down, he noticed the manuscript of my book. It was there on the table, right where he'd placed it when he first came in. Deliberately, he turned from it and then turned back the manuscript had been moved. Only an inch or so, but it had been moved. Keeping his back to his wife, he thrummed through that early chapter and discovered, just as he knew he would, that the photograph was gone. For a long moment, he thought of what to do. Then slowly, he turned around. This book by Cross I brought home. Yes? Uh, there was a story of Poisoner in it. Rather funny. Her name happens to be the same as yours. Oh, your maiden name, that is. Oh, that is odd, isn't it? <laughs> Darling, was she a relative of yours? Why, Ted, you're serious. In a way, yes. Oh, I don't mean it's really important. It's just that well, when you run across a person who's a dead ringer for your own wife and who lived 300 years ago and was a top-flight poisoner, well, you like to hear about it, that's all. What on earth are you talking about? Darling, be honest with me. Didn't you look at this manuscript when I was out of the room? No. You didn't take out a picture of a poisoner named Marie Debray? I most certainly did not. Oh, Ted, what is this all about? What are you getting at? Oh, just this. Somebody took that picture out of that manuscript since I've been home. Now, who's that? Well, I'll take a look. Wait, I don't feel like... Why, it's Mark Pepper. Mark? Ted, wait a second. Yes? Ted, whatever it is he wants, promise you won't do it. Promise I won't do I it? I mean, promise you won't get yourself involved. Please, Ted, don't go out tonight. Say, what in the world is... Well, anyway, we can't let him stay outside. Mark, how are you? Come on in. Thanks, Ted. Just thinking about giving you a call later. Oh, let me have your hat. Oh, thanks. I, Marie, I, I hope you'll excuse me for popping in like this, but, well, I wanted to talk to Ted. It, it's rather important. Well, I don't mind at all. Come on, Mark. We'll step into the library. Do oh, you mind, dear? Oh, of course not, Ted. I'll be making sandwiches for us. Oh, grab that chair in the corner, Mark. Well, let's hear it. What's the trouble? Ted, my Uncle Miles was murdered. Murdered? Oh, the talk hasn't reached you yet, but it's already started. Nothing definite, of course, just that there was something wrong about Uncle Miles' death. 
But I don't... Mark, are you sure of this? You know he was murdered? I don't know. Of course I don't. I just don't see how it could be any other way. Uncle Miles, you know, had been sick for quite a while. But last Saturday, he seemed so much better that Miss Corbett, uh, that was his nurse, decided to take the day off. And, oh, well, you know all this. You and Marie were over that afternoon. Anyway, Lucy and I went to the club that night, to that masquerade party, and we left the old boy completely alone. I've cursed myself a thousand times since. But what about your housekeeper, Mrs., uh, what's her name? Henderson. Wasn't she around? Oh, sure. In that little house out in back. We told her to look in now and then, but, well, that wasn't good enough. It was after midnight when Lucy and I got back. Uncle Miles was dying. Ted, it looked exactly like one of his regular attacks. But then later, after he was gone, I happened to glance under the chest of drawers in his room. There was a small silver cup under there, almost drained, and Uncle Miles' cat. The cat was still warm, but quite dead. Oh. I managed to get the cat out of the house and buried without anyone seeing me. Next day, I had the contents of the cup analyzed. It was poison? Yes. Arsenic. Well, what do you want me to do? Help me open the crypt. What? I want to have a private autopsy performed. Help me get Uncle Miles' body out of that vault. Oh, I know it's a tough job. The thing is sealed solid, but we can do it. You mean without the police knowing about it? Without anybody knowing about it. Mrs. Henderson's visiting her sister, and I managed to send Lucy over to the club. You must be crazy. You're playing with dynamite, Mark. This is something you've got to tell the police now. I can't take that chance. But they'll have to know sometime. You're only delaying... I've got to know first, I tell you. You don't understand, Ted. There was somebody in Uncle Miles' room that night handing him something in a silver cup. Mrs. Henderson was on the porch by the window. She saw her. She saw her? Ted. She thinks it was my wife. Oh, Lucy. It doesn't mean anything to Mrs. Henderson yet because she doesn't suspect anything. But, well, Ted, you've got to see why I've got to be sure, why I've got to know how Uncle Miles died. Because it wasn't Lucy, Ted. I know it wasn't. Of course not, Mark. She had an alibi. Well, she was with you at the club, wasn't she? Yes. Except for half an hour. I see. You'll help me, won't you, Ted? When do we start? As soon as you can make it. Okay. Come on now. I'll get your hat. You trot on ahead, and I'll come over as soon as I can see Marie. You're not going to tell her about this? Of course not. I'll think of something. Don't you worry about it. No, thanks, Ted. Thanks a lot. Uh, Marie? I'm coming. Uh, darling, uh, Mark asked me to, uh... I know, Ted. Here. You better take these sandwiches with you. You'll be hungry. Oh, but... You knew I was going out? Yes, I knew. You listened to us? I couldn't help it, Ted. I had an idea what Mark's visit was about. The talk about his uncle's death. There's a lot of gossip about it in the village. That's why I tried to tell you why I didn't want you to get mixed up in it. But it's too late now, isn't it? I mean, you're going. I can tell by the way you look. Ted, wait a second. There's just one thing I want to tell you before you leave. And that is that no matter what happens, no matter what you find or think or believe, I love you. You'll remember that, won't you? I'll remember you said so, Marie. Marie. <laughs> 
By the light of a dim kerosene lantern, Mark and Ted Stevens pounded their way through the thick shelf of rock that covered the Depar's ancestral tomb. Pried open the great slab of stone which lay across the subterranean door, and then at last descended to the dank, ink-black chamber. They found the coffin. They dragged it from its crypt and placed it on the cold stone floor. They unclamped the lid and opened it. Mark! It's empty. What? That's impossible. It can't be. But it is, Mark. You know what this means? That body wasn't in this coffin when it was placed here. I'll swear it was, Ted. From the time that coffin was closed on Uncle Miles, somebody, the undertaker or Lucy or me, somebody was with it until it was buried. And the crypt was sealed right after. Then somebody beat us to it. Somebody's broken in here ahead of us. Broken in? Listen, Ted. Lucy and I have hardly left the house since the funeral. Do you think anybody could break in here? Smash through that stone and cement without our seeing them or without our hearing them? Well, well... What? Well, you might as well come on out then. But... Who was that? Me, Mr. Depard. Up here. My name's Captain Brennan. I'm from the office of the Commissioner of Police. From the... I'd like to talk to you if you don't mind, Mr. Depard. Here, uh, follow my flashlight up. But I don't understand. How did you... How did you know about this? By listening, mainly. you mind if we go up to your house, Mr. Depard? Why, No. Not at all. Oh, thank you. Oh, Freddie. Uh, look here, Captain. Uh, uh, Freddie, this is Mr. Depar, Lieutenant Gray. Glad to know you, Mr. Depar. And Mr. Uh, Ted Stevens, isn't it? Well, how did you... How did you know my name? Very simple. I got the names of everybody who was here at the Depar's the day the old man died. You and your wife were included. Oh, here we are. But I don't... Uh, uh, Captain, who gave you those names? Why, your housekeeper, of course. Mrs. Henderson... You didn't think Mrs. Henderson saw the dead cat, did you, Mr. Depart? But she did. She also saw you bury it. And uh, we've been interested in the case ever since. Well, nice place you have here, Mr. Depart. Now, let's see. According to Mrs. Henderson, your wife was wearing some kind of a masquerade costume that night. What kind of a thing was it? Well, it was... Oh, there, you can see it. It was copied from the dress in that old painting over there. Oh, yes. Hmm. Funny. Uh, where's the woman's face? It's always been that way. Long as I can remember. Somebody must have thrown acid on it or something. <laughs> Can't blame them much. She was a poisoner. A poisoner? Yes. The story goes that one of my ancestors was responsible for her execution. Marie Dobre, her name was. Oh, yes. I've read about her. Learned all the poison tricks from one of her lovers, guy by the name of Godin-Sacroix. Godin-Sacroix. Oh, yes, Mr. Stevens. We cops read now and then. <laughs> did, did you say Godin-Sacroix? That's French. We call it cross. <laughs> Absolutely no limit to a cop's education, is there? <laughs> but to uh, get back to your wife, Mr. Depard, she was just like the famous Marie. Now, when Mrs. Henderson looked through that window... Just a minute, Captain. Mrs. Henderson can't prove she saw a thing, and you know it. What do you mean? I mean you haven't any right to insinuate that my wife was in that room. Well, who's insinuating? I, I'm trying to say that Mrs. Henderson, after thinking it over, realized that she was tricked by the costume. The woman she saw in the funny clothes, handing a cup of poison to your uncle, wasn't your wife at all. What? 
because your wife is an unusually tall young woman. And the one Mrs. Henderson saw was fully half a head shorter. More on the order, let's say, of uh, Mr. Stevens' wife. My wife? Captain, this is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know. What's the matter, Mr. Stevens? You're trembling like a leaf. Uh, Tell me now, uh, just for fun, where was Mrs. Stevens that night? She was home with me. The whole evening? Certainly. She retired early? Yes, we both did. You, I suppose, were sound asleep by midnight. Yes, I was. Then how do you know where your wife was? Well, uh, Look here, Stevens. She had to have a costume that would match Mrs. Dave Paz. How did she manage that? Where did she get it? Well, she she never had one. She never had a dress like that. And what about our motive? Why did she poison him? Oh, I don't know. Not for money, certainly. Then what was it? Hate? Did she hate Miles Stephon? Oh, yes, yes, she did. Hey, no! Oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, I tell you. O'Brien. Yes, Freddy. I phoned and got hold of Mrs. Depart in the nursing hall, right? That Mrs. Stevens. I couldn't reach her. Her phone won't answer. Okay, have her picked up. I'm going home. Stevens, come back here. I'm going to get my wife. Come in. Stop him, Brown. My name is Cross. Go down, Cross. Cross? Where's my wife? What have you done to her? <laughs> you fiend, what have you done to my wife? You are nothing at all, young man. Here, here, here. Sit down. You're lying. Something's happened to her. The police just phoned. There wasn't an answer. <laughs> Why are you here? Why am I here? Well, because your wife, reading my chapter on the Dubrays, realized I knew more about the family than even she did. Because she found my phone number on the front cover of the manuscript. And because I know an exceptional case when I hear one. Does that answer your question? No, and you know it doesn't. Can't you see I've got to... I've got to know whether... Yeah, I see. Whether your wife is that Marie Dobray, who was burnt. Burnt by order of the High Tribunal for all poison cases. The burning court of France. Witchcraft. Black magic. The world across the threshold. You're quite sure, no doubt, also, that I'm Godin Saint Croix, who first wooed her. No, no, my boy. <laughs> no, my real name happens to be, of all things, Tom Simpson. Most unsuitable for a distinguished writing career. And Marie Dobray is no more your wife's real name than mine is Godin Cross. What? Your esteemed wife was an adopted child, Mr. Stevens, adopted by people in Canada named Dobray, remote members of the real family of poisoners. I can't believe it. Why? Why didn't she tell me? Why? Because until I told her half an hour ago, she didn't know it herself. You see, in the course of my research on the family, I found out about it. And in the course of talking with your wife, I found out something else. How for years she was haunted by the fear that she might be a poisoner by inheritance, by blood. And you can see, can't you, why she never talked about it? Her yes, past yes. to you? Yes, yes. And yet, Mr. Stevens, you had all but made her forget that past. You. And that's why she was willing to lie, to steal a picture, do anything, in order to hold you to her. Yes, yes, I, I see that now. 
You know, young man, I I rather think she loves you. But as you will see, though, I she comes only when I call her. Uh, Mrs. Stevens? You mean she's... Yes, Mr. Cross. Marie, it's you. You're all right? Oh, yes, dear. We're both all right now, and nothing can change it ever. Marie, listen. Don't say Marie, dear. Say Maggie. Maggie? Well, that's my name, my real name. Maggie McTavish. And it's a lovely name, dear. The most beautiful, gorgeous... Darling, ever. darling, please. You don't understand. The police, they think you had something to do with Miles' death. They think I did? So, now, Mr. Stevens, before we go back to the Depars, don't you think you'd better tell me everything that's been said and done up to date? Having just saved your wife's soul from the burning court, now I'll rest her body from the electric chair. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Depar, truly excellent sherry. Don't you think so, Miss Corbett? Yes. It was very nice. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is how I happen to be here. So let us consider first that supernatural hocus-pocus in the crypt. That body that walked out of the sealed tomb. That body that never was in the tomb. Never was in the tomb? No, Mr. Depar. The murderer knew that very soon Mrs. Henderson's story would bring about an investigation. He had to get rid of the well-known corpus delicti. Yes, but who could have kept the body out of the tomb? Who, Mr. Depar? Why, you, sir. What? what, what, what I, I don't understand. Well, it's very simple. You had the opportunity. I believe you said yourself you were alone with the body before the burial. And you had the strength. I dare say you carried it down to the furnace. Where it's now, probably nothing but ashes. Ridiculous. Why would he spend an hour smashing into a crypt for a body he knew wasn't there? Why, Captain? Hmm. To impress Mr. Stevens, his witness. And also, apparently, you. Oh, that's perfectly fantastic. Fantastic? Oh, no, Lucy. Just comic. And I suppose, Mr. Cross, that I also put on a woman's masquerade costume, went into my uncle's room and handed him a nice cup of arsenic. No, no, no. That had to be done by a woman. Your accomplice, as matter of fact. Oh, now, come, come, come. You mustn't all look at Mrs. Depar, because Mark Depar's one noble act was his frantic effort to prevent his wife from being charged with the crime. A crime which he and nurse Myra Corbett committed. Myra Corbett? Why, you... Yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Stevens, this quiet little lady beside but, me. Why would I do such a thing? Money, Miss Corbett. A cutout of Mark Depard's inheritance. Payments for but, services rendered. That's an absolute lie, Croft. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Captain Brennan never bothered to check Miss Corbett's whereabouts on the night of the murder. Why even think of the nurse? She was the custodian of the old man's health. Oh, you're crazy, you're crazy. And yet who but a nurse could so naturally offer the old man a cup? A cup he was sure contained medicine. You're making it up. The whole thing, you're just and who it but Miss Corbett living right here in this house would know what kind of masquerade dress she must copy? Would know when Mrs. Henderson would pass the window that night, pass and see her, and accept her, she hoped, for Lucy Depart. No! Oh, that's not true. Oh, yes, Miss Corbett. Yes, Miss Corbett, that dress was the touch that wrecked you. That was your own idea, wasn't it? Not Mark's. You weren't content with a mere murderer's share of the profits. You wanted a wife's share, half of the whole estate. You wanted Lucy Depart convicted and out of the way for good. Mm. Well, I give you a toast, Miss Corbett, with Mr. Depart's excellent sherry. To a particularly ruthless poisoner. 
And yet, you know, on the whole, I'm rather partial to female poisoners. Why, only tonight I... I... from that glass of sherry. Cyanide that a nurse could get quite easily. That glass was right beside you, Miss Corbett, and nobody else was near it. Too bad he didn't drink it as soon as you hoped. A second ago, we had nobody to use against you. But we have now, Miss Corbett. We have now. And I arrest you for the murder of Gordon Cross. Yes, I'm in here, dear. Oh, oh. I thought you might. Oh, how did you cut it off, for? Huh? What do you mean? The radio. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought you wanted to talk. Poor Ted. Don't you think I know you better than that? What was on the radio? Well, there wasn't any... Okay. It was about Myra Corbett. She goes to the chair tonight. Oh. I didn't think you wanted to be reminded. I don't, really. But making such an effort to hide it only keeps it alive, doesn't it? All right, darling. Know what I came in to ask? If you wanted a cocktail before dinner? The largest one you've got. Fine. I'll get off the ice cube. I know. If I'll fix up the fire. Okay, Maria. A deal. Uh, where are some papers to start it? <laughs> right there by the bookcase. And the name's not Marie. It's Maggie. Because, darling, Marie's dead and gone forever. darling. Any kind at all. You've just heard The Burning Court from John Dixon Carr's famous novel... The first in Columbia's new series of outstanding classics and chills by world-famous authors. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Here at the Foggy Jack Live Podcast, we support Haunters Against Hate because hate is the scariest thing of all. The simple statement has evolved into a nonprofit organization that gives haunters a voice to express themselves and the challenges they are facing in life and in the haunt community. For more information, please visit www.hauntersagainsthate.com. Have you been looking for a podcast that'll keep you entertained for an hour? Have you been looking for a podcast that has cryptids, paranormal, and music? Have you been looking for a podcast that'll keep you on the edge of your seat? Have you been looking for a podcast that is a combination of haunters, cryptozoologists, folklorists, and many more, all in one place? And have you been looking for a show that is a continuation and extension of the Foggy Jack Live Podcast? Well, I have a solution for you. That's called the Foggy Jack Collective Podcast, where the haunters meet the haunted from around the world. That's right. We have professionals coming in from around the world to teach about paranormal, cryptozoology, talk about horror movies, and so much more. Please join us every other week on the Foggy Jack Live Podcast or on the Foggy Jack Collective Podcast. Just gotta search either one of those and you'll find us. Hope to see you guys down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted from around the world.
Hello everyone we are kicking it old school today with some old school radio. I hope you enjoy this episode. Sometimes I think the classics and the oldies get lost in the mess of the new age and high tech. We need to sometimes take a step back and look through our parents or our grandparents eyes and see in the black and the white. These radio shows are what started the horror we have today, so we as horror and haunt enthusiasts can never and I mean never forget where it all started. I really hope you enjoy this program. Now let's kick it back to some old school radio. The Foggy Jack Network. For more shows like this one please visit www.foggyjack13.weebly.com to the world of your own terrifying imagination. Since the beginning of time, people have argued about the existence of ghosts. They've been called variously wraiths, specters, phantoms, apparitions, shadows or shades. But everyone agrees that if there are such things as ghosts, they are the souls of dead persons haunting living persons. And that's what our story is about. Ghosts. No one, Mr. Garth, whether professional ghost hunters or ordinary people, have ever been able to spend an entire night in that house. Well, how many have tried, Mr. Flanders? Well, I know at least a dozen. And that's within the past two years. Well, did you get any reports from the professionals? Most sketchy ones. But they all say the same thing. That whatever or whoever it is that haunts that house, the manifestations are the most powerful and evil in their experience. They all mention... Nameless Horrors. Our mystery drama, A Ghostly Game of Death, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Murray Burnett and stars William Prince. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and by the Kellogg Company, makers of Kellogg's Special K cereal. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Nameless horrors. A nice phrase. But as soon as you put a name and identity to horrors, somehow they prove bearable. In the last century, people have shown that they can and do bear up under mass genocide and atomic bombings but the horror that is nameless, that is the most fearful of all. And our spine tingler will try to put a name to one kind of horror. You are not real. There are no such things as ghosts. I just imagine things. But I see you. I see you. Now, don't. Don't hurt me. Whatever you are. Please, get away from me. You want us to leave the house? I will. I will. If that's what you want, just please let me by. 
I'll go right down the stairs, walk out of the house, and never come back. Is that what you want? Please. No. Don't touch me. Let me out. Papers say, Mr. Garth. But we know better. It's ghosts. That house is haunted. Mr. Flanders, my field of study is the supernatural. But I can't even begin to tell you whether I can help or not until you get control of yourself. I'm sorry, but this, this, this whole thing is just about putting off firm out of business. What is the house, Mr. Flanders? Do you have anything on the history of the house? Yes. It was built in the early 1800s by a sea captain named Ephraim Hatch for himself and his bride, a young lady named Lucy Endicott. And they lived in it for some four years until the tragedy. You have the details? Well, Captain Hatch was supposedly a hellraiser in his youth, but also a great seafaring man. He was in whaling and, if the rumors are true, slave trading. At any rate, he amassed a fortune... He fell in love with this Endicott girl who was the town beauty, married her, settled down, and built this house. It's a tragedy. Well, the story goes, as nearly as we can piece it together, that the captain returned from one of his voyages earlier than expected and found his bride entertaining a lover. He killed them both. Horribly. And ever since, the house has been haunted and unlivable. We're building a condominium... This house is a key location, right in the middle of the property we own. We can't even get records to tear it down. No one will go near the place. Well, you keep telling me that no one has lived in the house. What about this girl who just died? Now? Oh, that was a stupid idea of my partner's. Her name was Roberta Ginley, a television reporter. She wanted to make a name for herself, and my partner sold me on the idea that if she spent a night in the house and then went on television and told people about it, our problems would be solved. And now we're in a worse mess than before. That's why we came to you. Well, there you are, gentlemen. The haunted house. Well, is it always this windy, Mr. Flanders? No, Mr. Kelly. Only when the wind blows from the east off the ocean. Well, for a haunted house... It looks substantial enough. Well, shall we go up to the house, Mr. Flanders? Um, why don't you two go? I'll wait for you here. You'll be quite safe, Mr. Flanders. It's broad daylight. Jim Kelly here has been with me in more haunted places and dealt with more ghosts than any man, except myself. <clears throat> and don't forget Byron. Byron is my dog, Mr. Flanders. And like me, he doesn't believe in ghosts. Huh? Do you, Byron? <coughs> oh, uh, I'm not scared, gentlemen. It's just that I've seen the house so many times, I've... <laughs> well, I don't want to influence you. Who's this, Let's go, Byron. You will uh, bring all our gifts? Well, it's back at the motel. We won't need it until tonight. Huh. Wow. They certainly built solid houses in the old days. Look at this door. What? Take it easy, Byron. Boy, everything's okay. You got the keys? Right here? <clears throat> In we go, in we go. Come on now, Byron, come on. We're on our way to meet the ghost. 
Tim, keep Byron quiet. Sit, sit, Byron. Come on, sit. I don't think we should bother the downstairs. Let's go up and see where we're going to speak tonight. All right, I'm with you. Come along, Byron. Oh, this looks like the master's bedroom. I'll sleep here. All right, I'll sleep in this little alcove here. Right, right off your room. Byron, what is the matter with you? I wouldn't try to take him into that alcove, Tim. He can stay in this room with me tonight. All right, all right. Hey, there's a door here leading outside to what you call the widow's walk. Want to come out and look around? I'll be right with you. Just checking the fireplace. You're going to need logs. Okay. Where's the door? Ah, it's right here. Hmm. Hasn't been open in a long time. Now. Ah, what a view. Look at that ocean. Any woman waiting out here to see her husband's ship come in might be blown away. And what Flanders tells the captain's wife wasn't too anxious for her husband to return. <laughs> That's right. She was too busy entertaining her lover. Oh, look, 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 you wore the rail. Oh, Thanks, Mr. John. That caught me. I, I would have gone off. What happened? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I, uh, I don't know. I just I lost my balance. Come on, Tim. We know each other better than that. What happened? I really don't know, Alex. I swear. I thought someone pushed me. Mr. Garth, I'm not at all sure I'm doing the right thing, and I'll understand if you don't want to go through with this. I'll pay all your expenses to date. You're uh, concerned about my safety? Yes. A real estate deal is important, but not that important. Mr. Flanders, you have nothing on your conscience. Tim and I will spend tonight in the house, and by tomorrow, the ghost should be at rest. And you think there is a ghost? Well, of course. I just don't believe in its malevolence. Have you taken care of the wooden logs for the fireplaces? The men wouldn't go into the house, but uh, you'll find plenty of firewood outside the door. Fine. Then I'll be on my way. <laughs> uh, I've never seen Byron act like this. Mm, something to think about. Well, I've been with you on about 50 of these haunted house deals. You think there's something different about this one? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. that sort of moan before. According to you, Alex, it's a ghost in pain. It is. <laughs> Sounds like the evening's entertainment is about to start. Tim? Yes, Alex? We've worked together for a long time, and we get along so well because I respect your disbelief in the supernatural. Yeah, which has come in handy when I uncovered a few tape recorders and other little safe devices. Right, right, but for your own sake, Tim... There's something about this house that seems different. Now, please, be careful. Huh? You're trying to scare me? Oh, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> right, right. Now, how about some wood for my fire? Oh, whoever you are, if you're trying to scare us, it's not going to work. You know, in all the years we've been working together, Alex, I've yet to see a ghost. But you've heard them. Oh, so you tell me. You talk with them. I just hear noises, and sometimes they're man-made. Mm-hmm, and sometimes not. Uh, would you strike a match, please? Ah, that's better. Huh. Get some of the chill off the room. The fireplaces always seem to make a room more cheerful. The electricity must have been installed around 
I guess the turn of the century. <laughs> well, I've seen brighter lights. But at least we have light. And candles. Oh, did I share mine with you? No, I have a supply back in my room. Oh, all right. Ah, here we go again. Spirit wrapping. Oh, now I've made it angry. Listen to me. Whoever you are, my name is Alex Garth. I would like to help you, but I can't unless... Doesn't want to talk to you, evidently, Alex. We'll see. Although you're my friend in the lie, you are often a disturbing influence. Now, I won't deny that I'm an unbeliever. So I'll turn in now that the fire's going. And you can go back to your side of the room and commune with the spirits. And with each other, Tim. We'll check with each other, as we always do. Byron is dead. 
you all right? Jim, Jim, what is it? Run. 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 Each man has his own nightmare. Something from which he will run. Driven by the secret whips of his own fears. But I suspect that Alex Garth could not tell you what it was that Tim Kelly ran from that night in the house that faced the sea. We'll be back shortly with Act Two. Alex Garth, authority on the supernatural, has undertaken to spend a night in a house so demon-ridden that workmen have even refused to tear it down. Deserted by his friend and ally, Tim Kelly, who fled in terror from unknown fears, Garth knew that he had to face the rest of the night alone as the heavy outer door boomed closed behind Tim Kelly. Will you show yourself now? I promise not to run away like my friend. You'll never find peace unless you let me help you. There can be no rest for you except through me. Do you think you're being punished for some sin you committed when you were alive? That isn't you. Is it, Lucy? Please, let me help you. I will not let you in and I will not leave this house. Locking the room doesn't frighten me. I'm not afraid. Mr. Coggins! We've split a tough gallant. Keep her steady or I'll kill you! That letter I received in Trinidad tells me that my Lucy, my wife, is just carrying on under the roof of the house that I built for her with young John Roger. So, Mr. Coggins, we're going to drive for home. Nightmares. We've all experienced them. But I venture to say that none of us has experienced the horrible sights, shapes, and sounds that Alex Garth saw and heard in that dark room of the haunted house for the next hour. And when he still held hard to his sanity and what remained of his courage, the apparitions changed in character. Garth no longer knew what was real and what was fantasy. He later told me that he may even have fallen asleep. Hard as that may be to believe. Alex? Alex Garth? Lucy? I am Lucy. Am I not there, Alex Garth? Yes. Even beautiful? Very beautiful. Would you not like to touch me, Alex? Even if I wanted to, I could not. You think I am cold and, and repulsive. That is what you think. John, tell Alex how nice I am to touch. You are very nice to the touch, Lucy. Was John your lover? 
You do nothing but ask questions, Alex Garth. What should I do, Lucy? Make me feel once more the touch of a man. A man you love. And... Lucy, you're in torment. I can only give you peace. Torment? Why should I be unhappy? I live here in my house and... And... Of course, we were naughty, John and I. We tried to frighten you. But that was only because I don't like strangers in my home. Apologize to Alex, John. This is a childish game you're playing, Lucy. But I adore games. I love games. Come dance a minuet with me, Alex. Isn't the music lovely, Alex? I don't dance the minuet, Lucy. John, you dance with me. This was how John and I first met. Doesn't he dance beautifully, Alex? Very beautifully. Remember, John? Remember how you looked at me that night? Yes. And that old witch Hannah saw it and wrote the letter to your husband. Oh, nothing, John. It was much later. Look at me that way again, John. Oh, you're no fun. No fun anymore at all, John. Alex, you'll come and dance with me. No, thank you. You are afraid, Alex. Yes, I am afraid. John, you heard. He is afraid. I said I was afraid, Lucy, but not terrified. Fiddlesticks. You play with words, Alex God. And you want me to play ghostly games with death, don't you, Lucy? here to drive me from my home. Are you happy in your home, Lucy? I will not leave. You shall fail. Others have tried. Would you like to see what happened to those others? I have a mirror you can look into in my room, just down the hall. Look in that mirror if you dare. I think I've been given a fairly good idea already. Leave this house, Alex. For your own sake, leave. Tomorrow morning, Lucy. Tomorrow will be too late. Sit down, Alex. The room will stop spinning. There. That's better, isn't it? I'm still dizzy. I warned you. Now. Alex Garth. Now. Look at me. Good. Lord! You do not find me beautiful now, Alex Garth. Not now with the blood flowing from the wounds inflicted on me by when he murdered me. Not murdered. Executed. You would not like to kiss me now, Alex Garth. Stay where you are. You need not worry about my blood staining your clothes. It will not even show. Stay away. Stay away! I warned you, Alex Scott. You think no one would wish to embrace me now with the cuts and wounds and blood disfiguring me. Is that what you thought? I am not listening. 
someone will wish to kiss me. Someone who loves me. I will kiss you, Lucy. I will embrace you. And I will embrace you, John, my love. Even with the blood flowing from your poor I can't look. I can't. It will do you no good to put your hands over your eyes, Alex. You will still see the bloody lovers kiss. No, I won't witness this horror. My thoughts are mine. And they're real. You're phantoms and you don't exist. For many we don't. But you know that we do. We are here. And we are real. And the only way you can banish us from your mind's eye is to run. Run, as your wise friend did. Run, and you'll see us no more. No. No, Lucy. I'm not leaving this house. This is the carriage bearing me to the burial ground, Alex. If you open your eyes, you can see into the coffin. The undertaker did a fine job. I looked almost as pretty as I did before I died. I was wearing a dress you see me in, Alex, and the only mourner following who wasn't afraid of my husband's wrath, the only person who didn't believe I was a wanton. Do you believe that? Yes. You do? Yes. Everyone feared Captain Hatch. And you, Lucy, most of all, you still fear him. No. Oh, why won't you go? Like you, Lucy, I am bound. How bound? By my knowledge, by my pride, by knowing if I leave now, I failed. You have stayed longer than anyone. Not long enough. You mustn't stay. What you have seen is... It will be worse and dangerous for you. Even more dangerous. And you're afraid for me? Yes. Why? You really don't know. Of course not. But you've seen, John. Have you not noticed that you are very alike? Well, I really hadn't looked that closely. Would you? No, no, I believe you. Then you must see how dangerous it is for you now. Then help me. I cannot. If you would trust me and tell me what the control is, I could help. You're very wise, Alex, but this is something beyond your wisdom. Try me. It's impossible. I am held here by forces stronger than yours. How do you know what my powers are? I told you, you are not the first who has been here. But you are the bravest. And your courage will destroy you. In the morning, Kelly, you woke me up. I'm not quite functioning yet. What do you see? What's in that house? Demons. I thought you didn't believe in ghosts. No, I believe in evil. And Mr. Flanders, in that house, 
you can actually feel the presence of evil. It's all around you, and it's dangerous. Now, listen, Kelly, God knew what he was getting into. It's up to him to handle it. I tell you, his life is at stake. Well, if you're convinced of that, then it's up to you to do something about it. Not to run away. Yet you are afraid to test them. What kind of test do you propose? The mirror. The mirror in my room. Let's go. Well, come on. I'm warning you, Alex Garth. Oh, wait a second. Your death machine will not help you. Death machine? Oh, you mean the revolver. Call it what you like. It spits fire and noise and has been used stupidly by stupid people against us. Surely you know better, Alex Scott. No, it gives me something to hold on to. Come on. You could try to hold on to me. This, this is your room? You fear to go in? Well, I'm wondering what it is about this room that... This is the room Tim ran out of, isn't it? The mirror is over here. Now, look in the mirror, Alex Garth. Look well. See, Alex Garth? Is that you, Lucy? It is I, Alex. He's a very young girl. And your schoolmates? Who are they? Schoolmates. Is John among them? Look. Look in the mirror. I... I can't make out the faces. Now you're grown. I... I can't. Oh! No! No! Mirror, mirror on the wall. What did the hunter of ghosts, Alex Garth, see in the mirror that so terrified him he lost his head and shot at the images in the glass? I'll be back shortly to tell you what Garth saw when I return with Act Three. Some people believe in ghosts. Some very thoughtful people. There are others who say if you believe in ghosts, you will see ghosts. And Alex Garth, expert on the supernatural, is not only seeing, but talking to ghosts. As experienced and as cool a ghost hunter as Alex Garth has just committed the childish act of firing his revolver into a mirror, shattering the glass into a million pieces, and doing the same to his composure. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Breaking the mirror isn't going to change anything, Alex Garth. The only thing you can do is leave. I'm not leaving, Lucy, until dawn. If you stay, your mind becomes a mirror. A mirror for all the things you don't want to look at. Well, if I have to look, I will. Then farewell, Alex Garth. You and I will see each other. But we can no longer talk until you join us. Join you? You are doomed. You will join John and me here in my home for all eternity. And God help you, Alex Scott. 
Because I no longer can. Lucy. Lucy, is that you? Lucy, my darling, my love, I... I must go now. No, no. Please stay a little longer. Just a little longer, dear heart. Why did you marry him, Lucy? He went away, John, my love. He left. He never said a word. How could I, Lucy? You know I didn't have a penny. You could have told me you loved me. You knew that. You knew it all the time we were growing up. Sometimes when people grow up, they change, John. And I was afraid you no longer cared for me. That's why you married the captain. I didn't want to be an old maid. Oh, there was no chance of that. I was afraid. I was afraid, John. He, he was so strong. John, I'm going to have a child. What? I'm going to have a baby, John. You're a baby. You? You're sure? I'm sure. Then we have to leave. You must come away with me, Lucy. Where will we go? West. To a new place. For a fresh start. Somewhere where Ephraim can't find us. There is no such place. Of course there is. Lucy. You know what will happen if Ephraim discovers that... Ephraim won't be home for at least a week. He was in Trinidad the last I heard... Captain! No, John! No! So, 
You came out at last, did you? Now, tell me how you like the taste of steel. Here, have another drink, Garth. You look as if you need it. Flanders, there isn't enough liquor in the world to warm me. Not after what I saw at your house. Then it is haunted. By ghosts beyond anything in my experience. Can you help me? I hope so, but I'm not sure. I managed to stay the night, and I barely managed to survive. There's one room in the house that seems to be the focal point of all the manifestations. That's the room I believe was occupied by Captain Hatch's young wife, Lucy. That's the room from which Tim ran last night. And that's the room in which I saw things no man should ever have to see. And you propose to hire some workmen? Oh, that's impossible. I told you what happened when I, I had work. I can understand why no workmen from around this area will go near the place. I intend to import a couple of men I've used before. Well, you could try it, but... What would you want them to do? To dig into and around that room and see if we can find something that will account for the hauntings. We, well, you and I, will be with them. A uh, correction. I hired you, Garth. You'll be with them. And report back to me. <laughs> Something else. You get a thought? 
Well, I can... I can only think of the sea and the storm. And the ship driving... And a woman. Flanders, uh, well, hold on to me. Hang on. And look. Look, there's nothing down there but a room. Uh, look, look for yourself. God, why, sh- why should I be so terrified? Why do I want to run? There are steps. Come on. No, I... You want me to go down? Come on, it's only an empty room. I'm not so sure it's can... Come on. Steady now. What's that? It's a table. There's something on it. I know. Let's see. It's just a plain saucer. Yeah, the saucer's plain. But look what's in it. What is that stuff? Well, I'm not sure, but it looks to me like something like mercury. I bet there's mercury in it. We'll have to have it analyzed. What's that on top of it? A needle. Look at its spin. I see. But don't you see anything else? No. Well, look under the saucer. Looks like a slip of paper. It does indeed. Let's have a look at it if I can get it out without disturbing the... There we are. There's running on it. What does it say? As moves this needle, so moves my will. Accursed be this house and all who dwell therein. See to it that they find neither rest nor tranquility, but be doomed to eternal agony and torment beyond the ken of man and woman, to which I affix my seal and signature, Ephraim Hatch, master of the schooner Lucy. Do you mean to tell me that this piece of paper, that saucer of liquid and a needle... Look out! The saucer! Be careful! Quick, quick, the ladder! Hurry, hurry, Flanders! (laughs) The smoke! I can't breathe! The ladder! Quickly! I'm right behind you! Uh, how do you say thanks to a man who saved your life? Oh, don't, don't bother. You wouldn't have been down there in the first place if I hadn't insisted. I owed it to you to get you out of there. God. Yes? I want to explain about my upsetting the saucer. I wouldn't say this to anyone except you, but... I swear that something pushed my hand. Do you believe that? Yes, Flanders, I believe it. And now your house is cleansed. The fire will see you there. For those of you who are skeptical about the existence of such things as ghosts, I have a suggestion. Find a house reputed to be haunted and spend the night there. And then let me know about it. I'll be back shortly. Alex Garth is still an avid investigator of the supernatural. 
However, he has a curious reluctance to tell people about what he saw during the night he spent in that house on the New England coast. And he never admits that many times in the dead of night, he sees again the face of Lucy, her lover, and the terrible sword of Captain Ephraim Hatch. And he awakens with his mouth open in a soundless scream. Our cast included William Prince, Ralph Bell, Joan Tyson, William Redfield, and Gil Mack. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Are you saying the legend is true that Millie has offended the beast goddess and is being punished? I don't know what I'm saying. But look at her. She's flushed, breathing rapidly. She could burst through that sedative any minute. I'm so hungry. Try to rest, darling. I'm going to speak with a hospital in Rio. I'll describe her symptoms. They'll arrange together. Oh, 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 my wrist. Oh, oh, it's burning. Look at her wrist. Look at her wrist. Something's on it. It's a design. It's the shape of that bracelet. Kevin, it's your imagination. Yes, it looks. Do you see that symbol? It's on every ornament worn by the goddess. The design decorates her dress. It's just a raw, ugly scar. But it's her sign. The sign of the beast goddess. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. You're listening to WTAX Radio. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Foggy Jack Live Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at FoggyJack13. That's where we're most active, and that's where you can find all of our other shows that we have here with daily updates on the new shows. Also, click the link in the bio for our t-shirts. Make sure you grab a Foggy Jack Live t-shirt. We have quite a few different styles of t-shirts we have. From the classic orange logo to a purple logo to... Even a Playboy Mansion model logo. Go check them out in the bio. You can also find our website, all of our other social media accounts, and so much more. If you like the show, please consider joining our Patreon page for $3, 5 or $12 a month. With all of those, you get five bonus episodes a week. Plus, I'm going to start sending out postcards to each and every one of you every month for the podcast and thanking you guys for being a member of the Foggy Jack Live Patreon page or the Pumpkin Guts episodes. You can also be a sponsor to the show. You just go over to Patreon and look for the sponsorship tab. Thank you guys so much for joining me down at the Pumpkin Patch where the haunters meet the haunted. I will see you next time on the Foggy Jack Live podcast. Thank you. Goodbye, and blessed be. Oh, it's getting spooky in here. When you watch horror movies in summer, do you cry out of angst for the Halloween season? <laughs> Have you ever wondered what happens behind dark, spiderweb-encrusted curtains of a haunted house? <laughs> do you believe that ghosts, goblins, and witches walk the same street you do? Ooh. 
Do you have to snort pumpkin spice just to get your fix? Well, boy, oh boy, do I have a solution to all of your aching problems. The Foggy Jack Live Podcast. Where the haunters meet the haunted. Each week on the show, you'll learn behind-the-scenes info of the haunt industry, the talk of the paranormal and cryptid industry. We also talk about horror movies, Halloween, and so much more. So please join us each week for this creepy, kooky, mysterious, and spooky Foggy Jack Live podcast. And we'll catch you down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted. Have you been looking for a podcast that'll keep you entertained for an hour? Have you been looking for a podcast that has cryptids, paranormal, and music? Have you been looking for a podcast that'll keep you on the edge of your seat? Have you been looking for a podcast that is a combination of haunters, cryptozoologists, folklorists, and many more, all in one place? And have you been looking for a show that is a continuation and extension of the Foggy Jack Live Podcast? Well, I have a solution for you. That's called the Foggy Jack Collective Podcast, where the haunters meet the haunted from around the world. That's right. We have professionals coming in from around the world to teach about paranormal, cryptozoology, talk about horror movies, and so much more. Please join us every other week on the Foggy Jack Live Podcast or on the Foggy Jack Collective Podcast. Just gotta search either one of those and you'll find us. Hope to see you guys down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted from around the world.